listeners. You ready? Oh, 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 oh. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the song that I'm going to sing. Uh, a virada do século. Alvorada voraz. Nos aguardam exércitos. Que nos guardam da paz. Que paz. A face do mal. Um grito de horror. Um fato normal. Um estado de dor. Medo de tudo. Medo de nada. Medo da vida. Assim engatilhado. Did you recognize it yet? No, I'm just because we we're trying to think about music, like songs about dictatorship, and I couldn't think about anyone. But then, I, like as you're singing, like a lot of them are coming to my mind. Like it is Gina has a few of them. Just <laughs> jump in sing. and sing. Huh? I'm not gonna sing. Jump I'm in fine. and sing your song. I'm fine. Well, it sounds like we need to start this. Yeah. Episode. Let's start it. Okay. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Suspiria, Suspiria True Crime Podcast. Where we cover Latin American true crime cases and also maybe a little bit of history. And this is one of those history podcasts, uh, not podcast episodes. I always mess them up. And yeah, this is. Yeah. Uh huh. Another one of those. I'm Carol. And I am Stephanie. And that was a truck driving down my street. (laughs) Why? I don't fucking know. They should be home not bothering people i think truck i talk about truck oh my god we said truck truck trucks on the first dictatorship episode that we did and i really a truck just drove by and i was like is it a truck 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 <gasps> and then like everything is connected wow this we is could not have scripted from this. from above that we should be definitely wow recording this wow wow so (laughs) well with that in mind we've already um hinted at what we are um talking about today with the song uh i don't i'm not sure if the song the song that i sang or try to sing it's called alvorada voraz by a band called rpm uh, which I've been asked a few times if I was named after one of their songs, but no, I was named after a George Benson song. So there's that. Uh, but they were very, very big in the eighties. And in case y'all don't know, we're talking about the dictatorship in Brazil, which ended in, uh, in the eighties. And so a lot of their songs were censored back then. Yeah. So on today's episode, we are switching gears and mm-hmm. attention back to our lovely home country of Brazil because wow. we haven't talked about Brazil in a while. Yeah. Yes. And we'll be talking about the life and death of Zuzu Angel or Angel, if you want to say it like that. But mm-hmm. in Portuguese, we call her Zuzu Angel, which happened during the Brazilian dictatorship. This is a very relevant case because, as we've mentioned before, the current Brazilian government and its supporters love to praise this adorable period of time in mm-hmm. our history. Yeah, They talk about it like it was all sunshine and rainbows. So we will be exposing the sunshine and rainbows, which are actually red because there was blood everywhere. All right. So, guys, uh, since this kind of like history and we are kind of relying on a little bit of like um, previous knowledge... We'd say that if you don't want to be 100% lost, I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to, so you have a little bit of my context about what was happening, what we're talking about here, uh, go listen to a few episodes that we already did on um, other murders done by the state and the dictatorship that we have, uh, Hubing Spiva. We don't have numbers on our episode anymore, but well, not episodes anymore, but like Hubing Spiva, Hubing's P-A-I-V-A. Mm-hmm. You can try to mm-hmm. look for that one. And also the um, Mendes brothers. Navis brothers. Right? And there Navis was another brothers. One. Huh? Navis. Oh, my God. <laughs> Navis brothers. You're thinking about the Menendez. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, not those. <laughs> Navis bro- Although it technically, technically could do Menendez brothers in this podcast. Technically. Technically. But we won't. Yes. Yeah. Also, like, we could technically also, also do Richard Ramirez, though we're not going to do it, too. There's a lot yes. of them. So, the sources for today's episode are Folha de São Paulo, EBC, O Globo, Estadão, Estado de Minas, The New York Times, Wikipedia, Linha Direta, as usual, 
Memórias da Ditadura, Tortura Nunca Mais e Jornal Nexo. So, let's dive into it. So, Zuleika de Souza Neto, a.k.a. Zuzu, was born on June 5th, 1921, in Curvelo, Minas Gerais, my hey. home state. Yay! And I've never been to Curvelo. Uh, she moved to Belo Horizonte, my hometown. You've been... See? I think How so. is I've been it possible to... that I'm from there and I've never been there and Kara has been there? What? So, <laughs> she moved to Belo Horizonte, which is my hometown, still at a very young age. And she started helping out her parents by assisting her mom, who was a seamstress. Her family was not, like, dirt poor, but her parents were um, described uh, as being from humble beginnings. So mm -hmm. they had, like, you know, enough food to feed the kids, but, like, weren't super rich. In her free time, she liked to play with the scraps of cloth left over from her mom's projects, with which she created her own projects, making clothes for her cousins and their dolls. My mom actually used to make clothes for my dolls when I was little, and I thought it was so rad. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, my dolls have custom clothes. Uh, her family would then move to Salvador, Bahia, a few years later, and there, Zuzu would spend her adolescence and young adult years. Her years in Salvador would prove highly influential throughout her career. If you don't know, Salvador is, like, the northeast, but is, like, a hasten to Steph's state, and Salvador is, like, the biggest, is, like, the metropolis of the northeast, the biggest point over there. Um... To those who don't know, Bahia is has a huge Afro-Brazilian Afro-Brazilian community, and because of that influence, Afro-Brazilian culture uh, changed the style of her creations completely. She would become a pioneer in the Brazilian fashion world. Her work would become very popular outside of the country too, especially here in the U.S., where her creations would be found at stores such as Saks Fifth Avenue and Bergdorf Bergdorf Good Goodman. Don't know that one. Zuzu's style mixed lace, silk, shins, and ribbons with regional uh, folklore-based themes. She added bird, butterfly, and tropical parrot uh, patterns. She can also be credited with exposing the international fashion market to Brazilian jewels and pieces that included bamboo, seashell, and wood fragments. Mixing up like a lot of good shit in just fabric right mm -hmm. super yeah. cool super cool so at the age of 18 she moved out on her own and went to rio de janeiro trying to expand her horizons by gaining financial independence and also professional recognition she worked as a self-employed seamstress for those in her neighborhood but was subsequently hired as a seamstress in a fashion studio She only started working as a fashion designer in the 50s when she started drawing up models and bringing them to life. However, she only really, really peaked in the early 70s when she used up all of her savings to open a boutique in Ipanema. While on the trip to her parents' house in Belo Horizonte, she met an American, she met an American named Norman Angel Jones and they became quick friends. The two soon started a courtship and she eventually got and they eventually got married in 1943 when they settled down in Belo Horizonte for two years. They then moved back to Rio and stayed there for like six more months before moving back to Salvador. In Salvador, Zuzu got pregnant and had her and had her first son, Stuart Angel Jones, on January on January 11th, 1946. The family again moved to Rio in 48, and this time it was for good. There, on September 24th, 1949, she gave, she gave birth to her daughter, Hildegard Angel Jones, on 1952. Another daughter came along, Ana Cristina Angel Jones. Zuzu and Norman argued on a frequent basis, and they separated in 1960. She would have other relationships but never got married again and continued to use his last name throughout her career. Because Zuzu Angel is a really good name. Yeah, I know, right? It sounds yeah. amazing. Uh-huh. And it's also like a, a name that like you can easily say both in English and Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So now to talk about the death of Zuzu, we really need to cover the facts that led to her death. And at the center of all these facts is her son Stuart. 
Stuart and his sisters had a very normal childhood. He was bright, popular, and considered very attractive at the time. He loved rowing, and he won the state's rowing championship twice while he was a teenager in the years 1964 and 1965. As you know well from our previous Hubens Paiva episode, in 1964, a military coup changed the entire country into a dictatorship. Uh, like a military dictatorship. Mm. Stewart soon enrolled in the Universidade Federal do Rio de Janeiro, where he studied where he studied economics. It was there that he would join the left-wing student movement, and eventually he would become its leader. Back then, Stewart was dating another militant woman named Sonia Maria Lopes de Mora- Sonia Maria Lopes de Moraes, whom he had known since 1962. They got married on August 18, 1968, in a very, very small ceremony at her house. At her house, Their wedding, according to his sister Hildegard, was one of the last normal events that the family participated in since Stuart wanted to keep them away from his rebellious actions. Because being a left-wing militant college group at that time was extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. Yeah, it's it, and it, it was could get like no everyone joke. around you killed. Yeah, Zuzu was initially highly critical of her son's involvement with the socialist cause, going as far as kicking his friends out of her house when they tried uh when they had uh, meetings there. But with some time, she learned to accept his point of view, which is good. But like you know, I get it. That was a dangerous thing. It's not even just like accepting that your kid has like different ideals. You know what I mean? It's Yeah, but it could literally get him killed. Yeah, exactly. So, Zuzu wound up meeting a lot of famous international celebrities who helped spread the word about her talent outside of Brazil. Some of these were Liza, Minnelli, Liza Minnelli, John Jean Shrimpton, Kim Novak, and Joan Crawford. Joan and Zuzu became quick friends, and Joan invited her to parties where she could mingle with the important people from Hollywood. About her son's marriage, Zuzu wrote in her diary, which she religiously updated every day after work. So this is what she wrote. Their marriage wouldn't last very long, not because of either of them, but because of politics. Sonia's madness drove her to handing out flyers about the cause, which led to her arrest. Stewart had no choice but to engage in any illegal activities. This is the worst thing that could happen to me. So here's what happened on December 13th. 1968, the government passed the Institutional Act Number 5, that is AI-15, which, among many things, shut down Congress and forbid any type of protest against the government. As you can imagine, this did not go very well. The oppression led to an increase in the number of reported cases of torture, as well as an escalation to said torture. Because if you start torturing someone, you can push your own boundaries really fast. Honestly, really fast. And notice that this AI-15 was four years after the coup, right? So it's not something that happened super fast. And with like groups like uh, Stuart and his wife, what they were trying to do is basically delay something like that and something that kind of know it's coming and then it fucking came and it bit him in the ass and it sucks. So after the AI-15, Stuart and Sonia were reasonably spooked and decided to join the Movimento Revolucionario 8 de Outubro, that is the MR8 movement, a guerrilla group which whose goal was to overthrow the dictatorship. They're still kind of active to this day, but uh, they're more of a like activist organization now. And... People say, like, yeah, the leftist movement at the time was super dangerous. They wanted to, like, kill people, etc. There's really not a lot of evidence that um, proves that, you know? And it's part of the reason why uh, these people were being arrested and tortured. You know, it's not just opposition. It's that they thought it was a credible threat. But, like, really, it wasn't. But that's kind of controversial for me to say, so I'm just going to stop talking. (laughs) So, Stewart operated under the aliases Paulo and Enrique while he was working on behalf of MR8. Sonia was arrested for the first time on May 1st, 1969, while she protested at the Tiradentes Square in Rio de Janeiro. Mm. She was sent to to Dops, Rio de Janeiro, 
which we've already talked about that. And Carol has visited the Sao Paulo branch of that, <laughs> where she was questioned, possibly tortured, and then she was taken to the Presidio Feminino São Judas Tadeu. She was only released on August 6th after she was unanimously acquitted by the military Supreme Court. And from then on, she started living under the alias Esmeralda Siqueira Aguiar. Sonia decided to exile to France in 1970, fearing further, rep- fearing further repercussions as she would probably be put to death if she, if she was arrested again. Mm-hmm. There, she would become a Portuguese teacher and would also enroll at the University of Paris. Also important to mention that during this time, the dictatorship, Brazilians living abroad had to kind of abide by the same laws as if they were mm-hmm. in Brazil. So it's not like she was, okay, I'm free now. I can finally be the communist that I'm this destined to, you know. MR8 would gain international recognition for the kidnapping of American ambassador Charles Burke Elbrick on September 1969. And just the pause here, they kidnapped an American senator because the U.S. was kind of loving the Brazilian dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, it was very, very, very much U.S. endorsed. So that's I don't know if that's As exactly are most the of the dictatorships. In <laughs> exactly, which is funny because uh, Stewart was an American citizen, right? Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was a dual citizen. Yeah. Which is funny how a government can like kidnap and torture an American citizen, but fine, I'm not gonna talk about that yet. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were also responsible for several bank robberies during that time. And Stewart was involved in many of those. According to his friends, many of whom were also involved in MR8, the robberies were justified as they were a tool to earn money towards the case. Fearing that her son might be in danger, Zuzu decided to become close to the first lady, Yolanda Costa Silva, whose husband, Artur Costa Silva, led the country for only two years before dying. At the time, if you're somehow linked to a powerful political figure, your family was less likely to be a target by the military. And that was not the case with the Stuart, with Stuart, despite his mother's effort. Yeah. And I think, like, this is just me speculating, but mm-hmm. I think the whole being linked to the military protects you thing only worked if you're like a lower ranking rebellious person but Stuart was like a leader and he was like putting himself out there he did not give a fuck like he he was really passionate about the cause Mm -hmm. which probably fucked him in the end of all Mm -hmm. of this so sometime in 1970 during one of the bank robberies Stuart was shot and critically injured Luckily, his friends were able to come to his aid before the police caught him and he ended up having to have surgery because of the wound. The wound. Of that, Zuzu wrote in her diary, I was so frightened when they told me that he was basically paralyzed with damage, with damage to his spine. He had an illegal surgery at the Silvestri Hospital. Dr. Feliciano Pinto, a neurosurgeon, ended up being victimized because of this since mm-hmm. he was held by police for months while question while they questioned him about the motive behind the surgery so it wasn't just like if you were a rebel i'll, I'll make a leap here to say that the motive be- behind the surgery was to heal someone do the what other motive is there behind a fucking surgery come on exactly and like doctors they have to swear like an oath to save people yeah. regardless of who they are but not under the dictatorship. No, you're not going to save a rebel. You're going to let them die. That's how they thought. Which, like, you know? So it wasn't like you got to- tortured because you were a rebel or related to a rebel. Like, the Navis brothers. Like, the mom was mm-hmm. tortured. But if you dared help them stay alive, then you also got tortured. Like, what the fuck? And this is what people are asking to return. This is what you all are calling for a comeback. Zuzu's worst fear became reality on April 14th, 1971, when Stuart was arrested near his safe house in the Grajaú neighborhood. He was taken to the Galeon Air Force Base, where the Centro de Informações de Segurança da Aeronáutica, that's 
CISA was located, and there he was questioned. By question, we mean he was brutally, brutally, brutally tortured. The officers wanted him to give up the location of Carlos Lamarca, who was one of the most wanted men by the dictatorship. Lamarca was a defector who had joined the opposition and became the leader of MRE. Stewart was initially beat up and tortured inside of the many cells of the base, but according to testimony of poet and former guerrilla member Alex Polati, the officer soon brought his bloody body to the patio. There he tied him up to the back of a jeep and dragged his body around the place. They also forced him to put his mouth around the exhaust and would step on the gas so he would be forced to inhale the toxic smoke coming out of there. They went on, this went on all throughout the night with Alex watching it all unfold from his cell. Eventually, in the early hours of the 15th, they let Stuart. They let Stewart's brutalized body into a cell near Alex's where he screamed that he was dying and he needed water. He also coughed a lot. Alex stated that his pleas lasted for a couple of hours before Stewart went quiet. Hours later, he would watch the guards drag Stewart's body outside of the cell, stating that he was bound to become food for the fish. Again, Again, let's repeat the situation here. This is an American citizen. Not that that means that he was worth more than Brazilian citizens, but, you know, where's the fucking U.S. government that they're doing this to one of their people, right? He is being... <sighs> yeah, it's not only that. He is the son of a very prominent figure. And this is what they're doing to him. Can you imagine if it yep. wasn't any of that? Yeah, imagine what they were doing to but dude, poor black and brown people. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So, hearing about her son's disappearance, Zuzu started searching for answers. She went to the military officers who basically brushed her off, but managed to convince one of them, of the commanders actually, to take her to the Doi Koji of Rio. So this Doi Koji thing was a military building established with the purpose of fighting quote, internal enemies <laughs> who allegedly threatened national security. It was basically a torture center. So there, the commander walked her, like gave her a tour of the whole place and he was like, see, all the cells are empty, so we don't have steward. What are you talking about? But she obviously didn't buy it, especially because the beds in all the cells were like, meticulously made mm. she was like are you fucking kidding me yeah this is went. a prison and and the, the cells are all like pristine so in her quest for answers she cleverly protested during a fashion show at the brazilian consulate in new york city since the consulate was technically brazilian territory she would face harsh consequences if she dared speak against the government because of ai5 so dressed in black because she was mourning her son she had all the models wear dresses with patterns that showed red spots birds in cages and warlike symbols such as canyons there was also a drawing of an angel gagged and wounded which represented Stuart. of the show she said in her diary the next day, the newspapers talked about my show, highlighting what I wanted. They talked about my son's case. They described the most shocking piece in which I replaced birds, butterflies, and flowers, which had been my signature to that date, with warlike symbols. The Montreal Star published a piece about her show, as did the Chicago Tribune days later. There was even a four-minute news piece about the show recorded by NBC. And, like, most of the headlines were like, Mom looks for missing son. And stuff like that. I wish, right? In in 1973, Sonia came back to Brazil and moved to São Paulo, where with her new boyfriend Antonio Carlos Bicalho Lena, who was a member of the Ação Libertadora Nacional, another radical left wing organization. She had briefly returned to Brazil in 1971 in a, an attempt to investigate the truth of Stewart's disappearance. 
but she ran away to Chile during the repression. Sonia and Antonio were arrested again on November 15th, 1973, after a doctor snitched on them. Said piece of shit doctor snitched on at least 20 other militants. The military officers started posing as employees of the building where the couple lived, and after spooking those who worked there by telling them that the two that like two whole terrorists lived there. Which is what a lot of people still call all the the opposition. They still yeah, call them terrorists. terrorists. Which, Which, yeah, what kind of honestly I mean it's a very low level of terror, <laughs> I guess, that they're doing. You know what I mean? You can't say it's zero none, but like it's is it really terrorists really, you know? After their arrest, there are two versions of what actually happened to Sonia. One of which is told by her uncle who commanded the Doikoji of Brasilia. Dude, this woman has an uncle that is a high-ranking military. Come on. Her dad was like a general or something. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, he was like a high-ranking military officer. <laughs> he stated that when she was arrested... She was sent from the Doikoji in Sao Paulo to the one in Rio where she was tortured, raped uh, with a police baton and then sent back to Sao Paulo badly wounded where she was shot twice. Why? 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 Why didn't they kill them? Right? Why would she have to suffer through a fucking eight hour car ride and mm -hmm. just be killed? Like, come on. Ah. The second version came from a, for a former family member of the Doikoji in Sao Paulo, Marival Chaves, Marival Chaves, who said that the couple was arrested and taken to a ranch in Sao Paulo where they stayed for 5 to 10 days until they died on the 30th after being shot several times. Their bodies were then displayed that same, that same day on the doors of the <sighs> Doikoji of Sao Paulo to become an example. Which is very fucking scary because I know where that is and I know what it looks like. And it is like right in the fucking middle of the city, right next to like a fucking big train station. It's like you're displaying bodies. Wow. At the same time, the cops announced that the couple died because of a, shoot a shootout. Which is what was announced the next day in newspapers. They would be buried as indigents. Under her alias, Miss Meralda Siqueira Yet. Yeah, and there was a whole thing with her. Um, so there, there are these two versions, and I believe like the official like version that came out after the investigations is that she was taken to like a a farm and tortured. But like, it took her parents a long, long time to actually get a hold of her body because at first they were given like a fake body mm. or something and they had to exhume like six different bodies until they actually found hers to give her a proper burial so zuzu heard about sonia's death and her quest to financial to find answers continued on she received a letter from alex polari remember mm. him mm -hmm. do you remember him i remember <laughs> which detailed <laughs> which detailed the conditions of Stuart's death. As you can imagine, that infuriated her, and mm. she started openly accusing the military of murdering him, which That's is a nope. not a good idea. Because of that, they put a tail on her. Suzu would talk about the murder to whoever wanted to listen. She protested at the bank, in the middle of the street, and she even went as far as announcing it as her plane landed in the Galeon airport, saying... Galeão International Airport in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, a country where they torture and kill young students. Mm -hmm. I like that lady, but that's fucking dangerous. Yeah. Wow. So, as Kara was saying, like, how the fuck is the U.S. letting all of this happen to a U.S. citizen? <laughs> well, it's not like they didn't hear about it because in know. 1975, Zuzu managed to hand a folder to Mary Clark, who was the wife of General Mark Clark. And this folder included every information about Stuart's case in English, because she spoke perfect English, Uzu, mm -hmm. as well as a translation of the letter that she had received from Alex. But nothing came out of it. Zuzu's protests reached Ted Kennedy, my very own Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts, uh, who spoke about Stuart 
to the U.S. Senate during a speech. But still, fucking nothing. This guy's talking to the Senate about it, and no one's doing anything. This is this. Here's a folder with all they did to this little American boy. Are you gonna do anything? Mm-hmm. Nope. 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 Fine. Let him torture. It's all right. This guy. I mean, he's so, not Brazilian, <laughs> right? That doesn't count. Exactly. She also confronted my favorite Brazilian president, uh, Juscelino Kubitschek, while they both were attending a party. And she was like, you could have helped everyone, but you chose not to do anything. Mm-hmm. You could have spoken to like international leaders, yet you're just sitting here, sipping on your drink and doing nothing. <laughs> and listening to Bossa Nova. <laughs> well, I don't know if she said that the last part. Yeah. Um, and finally, during a visit of Henry Kissinger to Brazil in either February or March of 1976, she went to the hotel and she snuck through security by mm-hmm. posing as an American citizen. And like, she got to him and she was like, Mr. Kissinger, I really, really need to talk to you. And they spoke briefly. She was like, you need to hear about my son's case. Here's a folder with all the details. Please, please help me. And he was like, Oh, I'll look into it. No. But nada. Throughout all the years in which Zuzu searched for his son, military officials had the nerve to go around town fasting wanted posters of Stuart as they as if like they didn't know where he was. <laughs> After she I mean, it's called like a cover up, I think. Right? But a very bad one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After she started becoming a nuisance, Zuzu also start started receiving threatening phone calls so she would keep quiet. Instead of being afraid, she would tell the people on the other li- on the other end of the line that they could feel free to come and get her. <laughs> and that's what they fucking did. A short while before Zuzu's death, she gave a few of her close friends a letter slash will in which she stated, if I show up dead either by accident or after a robbery or any other way, it will be by the hands of the same people that killed my beloved son. And one of the people that she gave the letter to was Chico Buarque. Chico Buarque. Wow. Because mm-hmm, they were friends. On April, tr- on April 13th, 1976, Zuzu attended a party in Rio de Janeiro where she mixed and mingled with many of her friends. She wore a black dress with sparkling straps. And at around midnight, one of her friends drives her to the store and asks if she would prefer to be dropped at home. Zuzu tells him that she'll be fine, that she can drive herself since her car was parked at the store. She gets in her car, headed home, and shortly after going through a tunnel, her car steers off the road and capsizes, killing her at the age of 54. So, the official police report stated that Zuzu had either slept at the wheel or she was drunk which led her to steer off the road and die. Right. This caused outrage among the community. According to that same report, she was driving on the left lane, hit the median, and lost control of the, the vehicle. There is no proof that she was under the influence of anything, but still, this version was accepted since the same people who killed her were still in power. <laughs> yeah. Things only started to change in 1995 when a commission was created by the Justice uh, Department to analyze the deaths and disappearances which took place in the dictatorship period. The families of those affected would be eligible to receive a payment under a settlement. In 1997, Zuzu's family asked for the state to recognize that they had played a part in her death. The request was initially denied, but a new analysis of the accident along with a witness changed things. The new version of the facts from 1998 stated that Zuzu's car had been sideswiped by another car, which had been following her for quite some time, leading to the accident. The witness, Marcus Pires, also stated that he was shocked to see that police swarmed the scene less than five minutes after the car capsized. And we can attest to this that police, Brazilian police takes at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Experts also testified that the accident would have occurred in a completely different section of the road if she had, in fact, fallen asleep. Zuzu was officially recognized as a victim of dictatorship in March of 1998. The following month, the tunnel, the tunnel in which she has crossed shortly before dying was named after her. It's renamed after her. Her friend, Chico Buarque, 
along with the singer Milchinho, wrote the song Angelica about her. Here's how the song goes. Who is the woman who always sings this chorus? I just want to hold my, my son who lives in the darkness of the ocean. Who is the woman who always sings this wail? I just want to remember the torment that made my son sigh. And it's a beautiful song. Yeah. We're going to link it. Like, mm -hmm. it's yeah, so, I feel like it. a lot of Shikubuaka songs are very like depressing, but like beautiful. So you can't stop yeah. listening to them. Most of them are like that. Yeah. You know that? <laughs> that meme. It's like a guy's face that he's like smiling one side and then he's like sad on the other side. That Shikubuaki. That meme sometimes makes rounds in the US, right? That shit, but I'm not making yeah. it. I'm not messing it up yet. So that's how you feel listening to his songs. Like you're like happy, like wow, nice. And then you're like paying attention to the lyrics. You're like, holy shit, this is deep. And I yeah. did not. My parents did not sign the permission slip for this feel this um sadness trip. <laughs> Six officers were accused uh, by Alex of being responsible for the death of Stewart. By the time that happened, three of them were dead. One of them, one of the other three said that he had been mistakenly identified and the second was never officially part of the military. Uh, and the third, Brigadeiro Carlos Afonso de la Mora, denied any involvement. He was the commander of CSIA, which, um, when Stuart died, his daughter Miriam stated the following to Linha Direta in 2003. Quote, Anyone who knows my father knows that he is a good, generous, upstanding man who has nothing to do with the image that they're trying to paint of him. I'm telling you that all of this is a lie because at the time when it was when it would have happened in Rio de Janeiro, he had been transferred to Brazil. In 2013, the classified documents listed Stuart as being deceased alongside alongside with other 89 militants. The document is dated September 16, 1971, two days after his disappearance. His remains have never been found. Yeah, yeah that was it. That was Stuart and Suzu Angel. Yeah, there's a movie about so. her. If any of you are interested, the movie is called Zuzu, Z-U, Z-U. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you can find it in English, too. Um, and I was just telling Carol before we recorded the actor who plays Stuart in this movie, him and I went to the same middle school and, uh, well, it was a middle school and a high school together. Cause in Brazil, we don't have like separate buildings for like elementary school, middle school, high school, v like very hardly you see that. But, um, yeah, we went there and it was the worst middle school that I've ever been to. <laughs> I was severely bullied there. But my sister's best friend was actually in the same class as him. And now he's famous. Not my sister's best friend, nice. but the actor. <laughs> yeah. But dude, I don't know. I feel so... I've always had kind of like a morbid fascination with like dictatorship murders and stuff. And it fucking sucks man like it gets me so pissed off and that was like even i used to get pissed and like fucking holy shit like before uh these fucking people started asking for the dictatorship to come back you know yeah it's really like i get that i don't get actually so here's the thing <laughs> a lot of people who lived through the dictatorship they didn't really see it as something super evil because they were more passive people you know yeah and none of it was like we were looking at things in hindsight you know what i mean like all this stuff the murders and all it was kind of known but we didn't have much details it was just like first person accounts we didn't know official stuff you know what I mean? All that only really came by and things were tried really like, you know, in very recent years. Up until like the 2010s before still trying people for all that. You know what I mean? And like since this was a fucking dictatorship, the government controlled everything. So you couldn't trust the you couldn't trust the you couldn't trust the media to report yeah. them either. Like with Sonia, they reported her as a uh, militant rebel or something dies in a shootout with police so what do you think a regular citizen is going to think of that oh it was a bad guy who was shot by police they're not going to think 
this girl who was trying to, you know, bring us a fair government was tortured and murdered. They're not yeah. going to think and that. And what they say is, like, in a dictatorship, the only people who were truly scared were, uh, like, not upstanding citizens, were criminals. The criminals were scared. Yeah. The regular people, yeah, they exactly. were and so people just get stuck to that and they go, you know what? There's a lot of crime. In the dictatorship, there was actually less crime. Where, you know, actually, there wasn't. All the graphs and stuff are all fudged. So, like, how can... I don't know. People, they, like, legit ask. And uh, part of the reason why our present president was elected is because he's very, very, very... Um, sympathetic to uh the dictatorship although like he has said in the past that like if he is ever elected president he was gonna like institute a new ai-15 in the first year of government like that stuff didn't happen i don't think it will but he was elected by people who are uh, sympathetic to that the same like similarly how people from the KKK like Trump, even though Trump is not officially linked to the KKK, but the KKK likes Trump. You know what I mean? So exactly, exactly that. Yeah. And uh, what I one of my favorite things about this was um, was the the testimony from the daughter of the general, whoever the fuck it was, who was involved in Stewart's death, uh, because like. I'm sorry, but you're obviously going to think you're like, even children of serial yeah. killers think that their parents are great and amazing. Yeah. Like, cause he's not going to show you at home that he's a fucking psycho who tortures people. Yeah. And that all just sounds to me. It's like, yeah, if you really get to know him deep down, he's such a good guy. <laughs> yeah. And he you kills have to people. Remember you know? that like. Exactly. You have to remember, most people who are related to, especially like high-ranking officials, they led like a very financially great life. Um, and you know, they wouldn't see a problem with living life, having maids, and like being rich. So, <laughs> like, of course, he's gonna say my dad was great. Like the fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I can't. I, I don't person I wish I personally knew someone oh that's a lie I did know I had a history teacher in Brazil who was like a militant in the dictatorship mm. she has since passed away unfortunately mm. she had cancer and she died a few years ago but like she would talk about protesting and shit like that but I wish I had like a relative who was more active when the dictatorship was you know still on like my parents were pretty like young when it happened and like my dad didn't leave his little hometown in the middle of fucking nowhere until he was like in his late teens my Mm -hmm. mom did live in like a big city she lived in Belo Horizonte from the age of 11 onwards but she was just told that like you had to obey the curfew and like the bad kids don't obey the curfew and my mom is not like a rule breaker so she's like okay i guess i guess i'm not gonna do this mm-hmm. and i i've asked her about that if like people disappeared and stuff she said oh well i heard of people who like ran away and never showed up anymore but like i didn't know any one of them so now i'm just uh researching because i kind of remember that from the um carnival of 2019 that the like you guys already know, because I already mentioned this in the podcast, I always do, and I didn't talk about it this year, but I watched, like, every single one of the very, like, political, like, um, parade things that they did, and in 2018, no, 2019, Mangueira, uh, one of the schools, did a, um, like, very, very critical uh, look, and I talked about it here on the podcast, about, uh, they did, like, history looking through the theme of the parade was history the brazilian history look like through the eyes of uh poor people black people brown people etc etc right and they and they had hildegard the daughter of zuzu angel Stuart's sister wearing like one of her mom's like uh outfits like a necklace also basically dressed like her mom um like behind like in front of something that says like the dictatorship kills I'm showing it to Stephanie now. 
Ooh, I just got chills. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's really interesting if you guys want to look. Um, they have all the parades on YouTube. We can probably like fast forward to that part. And yeah, so that is very heavy. And that's why I like I love watching this kind of like parades and stuff because they're so amazing. Like, oh my god, you know. I sincerely hope that within our lifetime, Carol, because mm-hmm. we're around the same age, I sincerely hope that we will get more answers. Yeah. Um, I don't think we will, but I hope that we will. And I honestly hope that people will open up their eyes and like see that this was actually really fucked up. Because I remember, I don't know the name of the girl right off the top of my head right now, mm-hmm. but I remember that I saw like a video about a girl who was... Like, in her, like, early 20s or something. And she was tortured and killed during the military dictatorship. And it said, oh, if you want to learn more, please please click here. And it was a link to a YouTube video. And, like, mm-hmm. everyone on the comment section was like, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, they wouldn't kill you. Well, you're probably a criminal, blah, 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 blah. Which is also one thing that they use to criticize a former president of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they... They say that, oh, well, she robbed banks, so she was awful. You know exactly who I'm talking about because there was only one Brazilian president. (laughs) And, like, politically speaking, I have no opinion on her. I didn't live through her presidency. I don't know if she's good, bad, or whatever. But, like, using her being a freaking militant in the dictatorship (laughs) to say that she was bad, I'm sorry, but that's not very credible of you because... We all know what happened in the dictatorship, so. Yeah. yeah, it's all super fucking sad, and it bums me out to think about that. Like, it's the type of revisionism that, like, I get, like, people being, like, Holocaust deniers and stuff, and how it's something that it might be, like, so far back in history that, like, a few people are alive now, and people, it's, like, something that is not in the United States. Not, you know what I mean? Something that is not in Brazil, not in the U.S. It's, like, far away, you know what I mean? So it's easy to kind of like, yeah, separate yourself from it. But being like my family, like it's people's parents lived through the dictatorship. Some people lived through the yeah. dictatorship and they're like, yeah, I didn't see any anything weird. Like, I don't know. Step over vision yeah, like I that said. only works to like further like far right um, talk. And what sucks the most for me is that when people talk about the dictatorship, they don't mean it. Like, they don't mean that they really want to bring it back, you know, because, yeah. uh, I mean, I saw a video, to, like, from, like, last week, because people are protesting social distancing in Brazil, because that's the type of people we are. We protest every single thing. I was talking to Steph about this. Today, there was a protest against the mayor of Sao Paulo, China, coronavirus, you know what I mean? They, they clump a lot of things together in protest. And they were doing because they a- don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, Brazilians are extremely no. politically ignorant. <laughs> yeah, so they were doing like a, a protest against social distancing. I repeat that they were doing a protest against social distancing at a time they they should have stayed home, but they were out there in the clump of people. But anyways, the police was sent to like break break the protest, right? <laughs> Obviously, and then the videos are like. Can you believe? Can you believe these people, the police, trying to infringe? We have the liberty, the freedom of coming and going, and these people are out here. Can you believe we don't have a democracy? We live in a dictatorship. And literally, like five seconds before, they were talking about like we need a dictatorship. We need, I don't know. It's literally like the same speech that NRA people are like, you want to take away my guns? Yeah. Like, no one wants to take away your guns. We <laughs> just want you to stop being an idiot. Did you see that there was a, a TV guy that said that, um, that, I'm talking about Brazil, not the US guys, but that he said that we should um, open concentration camps so the sick no, can go I and didn't. die there? What and the people are like, yes, that sounds like people. a great idea. What is wrong with you yeah jesus christ exactly so it's like it's not even tone deaf it's like t- it's it's just it's life deaf yeah it's it's, it's it's so like far away from any kind of common sense 
It's like, you know, so like, of course, people are very sympathetic to a military dictatorship, like off fucking course. They don't know anything. They don't listen to true crime podcasts that cover Latin American cases that talk about <laughs> the No, because we are leftists yeah. and the left is bad. Oh, no. oh, the left took away my oh, money. No. Well, I didn't have any in, in the beginning of all of this, <laughs> but they took the money that I didn't have. <laughs> they're coming out. They're coming from the two properties filled with knapsacks that I inherited from my grandparents. I'm the rich. I'm the exactly. 1%. Fuck off. <laughs> so let me do the shout outs. Yeah. <laughs> the spirit of something more positive. So shout out to Simal, uh, Julia, Lucia, Isabella, and Alana. Welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome welcome one and welcome yeah. all. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think that's it, that's guys. It. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about anything good that happened this week so we don't end up in, a, in such a bad note? Um, what happened this week? I don't. Every day is the same yeah. during quarantine. I, I don't remember a, anything. I made a killer uh, bean quesadilla last week. That's true. If you want the recipe, hit up Carol. Yeah, not much. Not, not much exciting. It's exactly what it sounds like a bean quesadilla. <laughs> hey listen people might be excited about that yeah yeah anyways oh something guys. good that happened this week real quick uh. real, real quick mm. i got the last podcast book yes and i finished it and it was great go by it go by it <laughs> yes Jeez, my cat is hello are you doing okay that's a sign that we need Do you to wanna participate end this. all right guys i hope you guys have a good end of the world Laters, haters haters Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Suspiria, a true crime podcast. If you are a creep and enjoy listening to all of that horrible information, please check out our previous episodes and write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram as Suspiria Podcast. Facebook is also Suspiria Podcast. If you want to follow Carol... You can follow her at Suspiria Carol, and you can follow me at eu.steph. Note, none of us post anything interesting. We do, actually. If you have any case suggestions, feel free to drop them over at suspiriapodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to be part of this podcast, you can also email us. We promise we won't bite. Ciao! Yeah.